In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the third Sunday of the month of Tut, and Tut is the first Sunday of the new Coptic year, uh, the year 1735 AM. And today in the scripture reading, we read the story of Zacchaeus, which is perhaps a familiar story to us about the chief tax collector who lived the life of sin, and yet when he saw that Christ was coming, he embarrassed himself by climbing up a sycamore tree so that he could see him because he was short and he couldn't see him. And then Christ seeing him said, I'm today going to come and dine with you in your house. And when Christ came to him in his house, he repented and he said, if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to return four times the amount that I've cheated them because at the time the tax collectors were, were thieves. They would take more money than they were called to take and they would keep that money for themselves. And he says this in Luke 19, verse 8. He says, Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And when the Pharisees and the scribes saw that Christ was going to stay and be a guest in the house of Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, they criticized him. And they said, who is this who goes to be in the house of a sinner? And what we see here that Zacchaeus is doing is he is cutting out sin from his life. He's saying, I want to start a new and different life, a life different than what I had in the past. And he recognized that in order for him to do that, he had to make a change in his life. He had to, to cut something out that was a negative influence on him. He didn't just say, you know, Christ, I'm going to start going to the synagogue every week, and I'm going to start reading the Torah every week, and I'm going to start doing all these different religious things every week. And while those things are important, he, he went to the root of the matter, which was essentially what? I have to cut out sin from my life in order to be restored in my relationship with God. And we read, actually, when Christ is speaking to us about cutting out sin, he says what? In Matthew 18, verse 8, he says, If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. And some might read this and wonder, what does he mean? Is he speaking literally that I would cut off my hand or my foot or gouge out my eye or these things that we read? What, is it, what does it actually mean? Was he speaking about physical organs that are causing us to sin or something else? The church fathers, they interpret this uh, to mean something else. If we read what St. John Chrysostom says, he says, he is not saying this about human limbs, far from it. This is said about friends, about relatives, whom we regard in the rank of necessary limbs, for nothing is so harmful as bad company. So what is he actually saying when he's saying cut off your hand or cut off your foot? He's saying cut off the bad influences. Cut off the bad influences in your life. And, and, and especially here when we speak about friendships and relationships that I have that keep me from growing in my life with Christ, he's saying cut these out. This is, this is not wholesome. This is not healthy for you. This is what's preventing you from growing. So even if I make a commitment that I'm going to go to church and I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to do these things, but then I spend all of my time with people that do not do these things, or I spend time with people that discourage me from doing these things, or I spend time for people that motivate me or encourage me to go to bad places, to do drugs, to smoke, to do all these things that are against Christ, then how is it that I'm going to grow? So what Christ is saying, cut off the bad influence. Cut off the thing that is keeping you from growing, and then you can grow. Then, then these thorns that are preventing you from growing are going to be gone, then you can grow. So what are some characteristics of these types of friends? 
Who are the kinds of friends that we should be uh, having? What are the kind of people we should look for? Even when people are considering marriage, what is it that I should look for in a spouse? Right? We speak about marriage as being a path of salvation. You know, there are two paths of salvation in the church. One path of salvation is monasticism. And maybe when we speak about monasticism, we can kind of understand why that's a path of salvation. You give up all of your money, you give up all of your possessions, you have a vow of celibacy, you have a vow of obedience and submission, you go live in a monastery separated from every sinful influence, and you spend your entire life praying. Okay, that can sound like a path of salvation, okay, because you, you, it's, it's a very extreme path of salvation. Why is marriage a path of salvation? Marriage seems nothing to do with that. Like, you're not having a vow of celibacy, you're living in the world, you're not giving up any money. Like, like if one is a path of salvation, very few of those characteristics are found in marriage. So why is marriage a path of salvation? It's a path of salvation because, one, by being united with a person for the rest of my life, I learn how to love because I have to love this person irrespective of how I feel. I have to love this person unconditionally, even if they don't love me in return. And this tells us how God loves us. It shows us the love of God. But if I am united with a person who is driving me away from God, how can I be with them? How can I show them this kind of love? How can I be united? Is this a path of salvation for me? Is this person that I'm united with leading me in the path of salvation? Or are they leading me in the opposite direction? Which is why it's very important for us when we consider the types of relationships we have, whether it be for marriage or friendship or in whatever way, that we ask ourselves a lot of questions. You know, sometimes we are just naturally attracted to certain people because we like them, we, we enjoy being with them, we have fun with them, we laugh with them, you know, we, we have the same hobbies as them. But if we look deeper than that, we say, is this person leading me in the right direction in my life or not? So what are the characteristics of this good friend, of this person who is going to lead me on the path of salvation? The first is, it's a person who introduces me to God by his life and prayers. A person who brings me closer to God. A person who does not tempt me to leave him. Who doesn't offer me things that I know that I shouldn't be involved in. A good example of this is the four friends that brought the paralytic man to the roof of the house and lowered him into the house and placed him before Christ. This is literally... The, the, the way that we should be bringing people to God, bringing our friends to God, and the way that, that our friends should be bringing us to Christ. When we are the ones that are spiritually paralyzed, when we are the ones that don't want to go to church, when we are the ones that don't want to pray, when we are the ones that are involved in some kind of sin, the good friend is not the friend that says, I agree with you or I'm going to come and do with you the things that you're doing. The good friend is the one who says, no, you're wrong. You shouldn't be doing this thing. Come, let's go to church instead. Come, let's read the Bible instead. Come, let's pray together instead. And this might bother us at the time. This might bother us. Oftentimes, these kinds of friends, we think they're very, um, like, you know, like they're a bit too holy. You know, they're a bit hypocritical or they're a bit judgmental. We, we call them this because we feel guilty. We don't want to feel that they are better than us. We don't want to feel that the people around me desire to go to church and I'm the one that's not wanting to go. But this friend who really has the courage to tell me the truth, he is the true friend. He is the one who really can lead me on the path of salvation. Unfortunately, many people stay in friendships simply because the other person commits the same, same sins as they do. So we have to ask ourselves, if I am looking for people to be near because they commit the same sins that I do in order for them to justify my own actions so that I never feel guilty or upset, this is wrong. 
This is wrong. This is not the kind of friend. And this is not what Christ was saying when he said, you know, if your hand or, or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. I have to cut off sinful influences in my life. Another characteristic of a person who uh, leads me to Christ, the good friend, is someone who loves me all the time, but especially in the times of affliction. Okay, In Proverbs 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of friendship? You know, what, 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 why, why are we friends with one another? If I'm a friend to someone only when everything is going well and that person is, is doing fine and they're not in, in any weakness or in any need, then I might be a casual friend. But who is this brother that is born for adversity? This is the person that I go and rely on, that I cry on their shoulder whenever things are very difficult in my life and that person is always there for me. Maybe a lot of us have had experiences with friends that we call what fair weather friends. They're the kind of friends where they're only with us when everything is going fine. But when I really become in need, they disappear. They're not there anymore. They don't, they don't offer me what I really need. They're just there to enjoy our time together. But in my weakness, they're not able to lift me up. You know, in my, in, in my weakness, they don't support me. They don't keep me on the road, on the path of salvation in those times. And this is difficult to find these kinds of friends. These are the kinds of friends that are willing to cancel their own plans so they can come and be with me when I need them. This is the kind of friends that might give me something of theirs because I don't have my own. This is the kind of friend that sees me going up and down in emotional roller coasters and they support me throughout all of this. This is the kind of friends that I need. In Sirach 6 verse 10, it says, There is a friend who is companion at table, but will not stand by you in your day of trouble. You know, we can go out together, we can go eat together, we can hang out together, we can do all kinds of things together, but in the time of trouble, where are they? Are they a person that I can rely on? Are they a person that is going to support me and give me what I really need? The type of super friends superficial friendships that we might have, these are not really true friendships. This is not something that is really a true friendship. This is something that um, appears as friendship, but in the day of testing, where, where this friendship is tested, we find out that it is not really it is not really the friendship that we that we thought so we ask do our friends remain with us only because it is convenient for them only because it is beneficial for them true friendship is a sacrifice this is what christ said about friendship he said in john 15 greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends if we read this again greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends so the idea of friendship, when we think about it, much like marriage, is a sacrifice. When we speak about having relationships with one another, I, I tend to think about what do I benefit, what do I gain from the relationship. We think about this maybe in marriage, what is it that I gain from this marriage? I'm, I, I want my spouse to do something for me, right, that I enjoy. Or in my friendship, I want to spend time with my friend because my friend is giving something to me that I enjoy, something that I like to do. Okay, But here what scripture is telling us is this true friendship is what it's a, it's a friendship based on what do I give, not on what I receive. A friendship should be based on what do I give. And to what extent here Christ is saying what? That to lay down one's life, this is the true mark of friendship that I sacrifice with no limit to give to my friends who need me. And so again, when I have a friend, I ask myself, in the time of affliction, do they offer me this? 
Do they give me this? And, and of course, conversely, do I give them this? I have to also do the same. Another characteristic of, uh, of a good friend is someone who gives me honest counsel. Someone who gives me honest counsel. A true friend is always going to tell me the truth even when I don't want to hear it. It's easy for us to give counsel by saying something that is going to match what the person wants to hear. This is very easy. And we can tell sometimes when our friends do this, that they come and they ask a question, and we can sense behind the question that they really don't want to know what we really think. They want us to just confirm that what they already chose to do is a good idea. That they like, that they want us to make them feel good about the own decision that they took. But whenever we stand and we say, you know what, I really don't think this is that good of an idea. I think maybe you need to think this through a little bit more. I think uh, there might be some consequences that you're not thinking about regarding this. Or I think this is wrong altogether. I think what you've chosen is sinful. Um, this is difficult sometimes for them to hear or when we hear it from our friends this is also sometimes difficult in proverbs 27 it says faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful what does it mean that faithful are the wounds of a friend it doesn't mean that the friend is going to come and hit us or give us a physical wound it means that they're going to wound us by their counsel that i might be very dead set on a certain decision or a certain path and yet my friend comes and he stands in front of me and says, no, you can't do this. This is, the, this is the wrong choice. This is the wrong thing to do. And while that doesn't feel good, and while sometimes when our, our, our friends and the people close to us, whether friends or family or, or spouse or whoever might, when they tell us this, we, we don't want to hear that. We want someone to say, you know what, just, just support me in this. Just tell me you know, what I want to hear. But if they have a good reason why this, the counsel that they're telling me you know, based on my decision, they feel that I ha I'm making a wrong decision, then they have to take some kind of action. This is the true friend, the friend that doesn't let me fall in a pit of my own creation. In Sirach 6, verse 6, it says, Let those who live at peace with you be many, but let your counselors be one in a thousand. Meaning what? It is not easy to find someone to give us good counsel. It is not easy for, for us to find someone that really gives us good counsel. So if we find someone that gives us good counsel, that can tell us the truth, even when we don't want to hear it, this is a true friend. And even we might get frustrated with them because of their opinions, because of the things that they do and say, but this is truly the person that we need to stick close to. Because this is a person who can objectively look at our lives, objectively look at our decisions, and tell us if this is the right path for me or not. An example of this is uh, King Rehoboam. King Rehoboam, he was the son of King Solomon. And after King Solomon died, King Rehoboam became the king. And as a new king, he of course is young and inexperienced. And he was faced with a situation very early in his kingship where a group of people came to him and they said, we are being overworked. Your father, King Solomon, he worked us to the bone, and we, it was so difficult for us to, to work, and we are we're laboring, it's so difficult, and so please ease from us the work that we have on our shoulders. And so King Rehoboam, he first, he sought guidance. So first is he went to some of the elders of the land, the people that were the experienced people, and he told them, he told them, this situation is what's happening, what do you advise me to do? And so these elders, they spoke to him and they said, if you give them what they want, they will love you. 
you give them what they want, they will see you also as king, the way that they saw King Solomon as king. You can't just come in here and, and, and expect that everyone is going to treat you with the same respect as King Solomon from day one. You have to make good relationships with the people. You know, maybe the work really is too much for them. Okay. And, and, and so ease their workload. They will love you and you will have a good relationship with them. Then he went and he asked his peers, his friends, the younger group. And the younger group was like, no, you don't do that. If you really want to show that you're a powerful king, you have to even make the work harder for them. So they don't ever dare to come to you and ask you and tell you and complain to you saying that the work is too difficult. How dare they come to the king and they say this. You go and tell them, I'm going to even add even more work for you so that you never even dare to come and ask me again to ease your workload. And so King Rehoboam, he listened to his friends instead of listening to the elders. And once he told this to the people, they actually rebelled against him and they went and started an entire new kingdom. And this is why we have the divided kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. All of that because of this situation. And so King Rehoboam, he didn't listen to the wise counsel. He didn't listen to those who stood in front of him and told him what he didn't want to hear. King Rehoboam did not want to hear that. And yet, this is what he was told, and that was the wise counsel. How many of us can stand and say the wise counsel? There was another uh, prophet in the Old Testament. His name was Micaiah. And he would always say the honest uh, prophecy to the king. And so when God told him that the kingdom was going to be destroyed and that the people were going to go into exile, he went to the king and he told him the kingdom is going to be destroyed and we're going to go into exile. And the king hated him. He hated to listen to him. And he would throw him in prison. And he would call all the other prophets. And he would say, tell me, tell me something good. Tell me something I want to hear. And all the other prophets would tell him, yes, uh, live forever, king, and everything's going to be fine, king, and uh, your kingdom is going to last it forever. And so he felt good about himself. And he hated Micaiah, and he never wanted to hear from him. And every time he would ask him, Micaiah would tell him what he didn't want to hear. Because what he didn't want to hear was actually the truth. He was the only true prophet that was actually saying the words of God while all the other prophets were false prophets. So sometimes we find ourselves in situations where because we have a certain relationship with someone and we don't want to offend them and we're concerned about the relationship of what is going to happen to me if I'm honest and truthful, that I just tell the people what they want to hear. Or I want to hear from them what I want to hear because if not, I'm going to be so angry and upset that the relationship is going to break. I'm going to, I'm going to leave this person because I don't want to hear from them what they have to say. So we have to ask ourselves, what is really true friendship? What is really love? Is love always making the person in front of me feel good about themselves? Or is love telling them the truth even when it's difficult to hear? This is true love. We, our true love, true friendship is when we tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Another aspect of someone who is a true friend is someone who covers my weakness. In Sirach 6.9 it says, There is also a friend who changes into an enemy and will reveal a quarrel to your disgrace. Maybe we've experienced things where we've had a close friend to us, a very close friend, and because they're a close friend, we reveal to them our secrets. We reveal to them our thoughts. We reveal to them the things that are very personal and close to me because they are a support to me. And then we find out that this friend has gone and revealed to somebody else what it is that I've said to them, what it is that I was thinking. And we are so hurt because this person that I have confided in 
has has broken the trust and broken their promise. This is another aspect of friendship, very important. When we look for someone, we have to look for someone that not only will not reveal our secrets, but covers our weaknesses. Meaning, they don't want other people to be involved to see my weaknesses. They cover, but they cover my weaknesses. It doesn't mean that they're lying. It doesn't mean that they're lying on my behalf. It means that they try to protect my reputation. They, they, they don't want any kind of secret weaknesses that I have to be revealed in public. And so this person that is aware of all these things has a very important role because their, their role is not to reveal who I really am or the, the secrets that I have or the struggles that I'm facing or the, you know, the secrets that I tell them. All of these things is important. Once I, in, I, I confide in a person and give them all of this, if they betray me, they have so much ammunition against me. If they betray me, they go and say everything. We see maybe like in um, among relationships and things, when people have a breakup, and w the, the one or the other of the people is so upset, they go publicly make known all of this stuff about the other person to try to destroy their reputation out of anger, right? Of course, this is this is devastating. This is something very important. Can I trust the person? Is this person going to cover my weakness? Is this person going to take what I tell them and keep it in confidence? Or are they going to reveal it? Another characteristic of a good friend that I should keep close to me is someone who respects my boundaries. This is a person who doesn't try to um, demolish my boundaries, doesn't try to go do, do something beyond what I'm comfortable with. Okay, someone who respects my no without blaming me or stopping me. Sometimes maybe we've had friends in the past where they assume that because we're friends, that means there's no boundaries between us. Everything that I want to do, I can do because you're my friend. And if you tell me, no, I don't want this, I become offended and say, how could you say this to me? You know, I come to you and I say, can I borrow a thousand dollars? Of course, I have to give you a thousand dollars. If I don't give you a thousand dollars, then you're not my friend, right? What if I can't afford a thousand dollars? What if I can't give you? What if I don't want to give you a thousand dollars? Does that mean that I'm not your friend? No, unless you give me the thousand dollars, then you're not my friend. There's not a boundary there. For you to really be my friend, you have to respect what I am comfortable with. Okay? For someone to be our friend, they have to respect what we are comfortable with. Let's say we are studying for a test or we're doing something and we're very busy. We don't have time to go be with that person. We don't have time to hang out we don't, with that person. We go, they call us and say, hey, do you want to go do this? No, I'm studying. What do you mean? We said we were going to go do this. I'm sorry, I can't. I don't have any time to do it. I'm studying. I, I'm busy now. You know? And they get offended or upset because of that. Okay? If, if, if I can't have clear boundaries and the person respect my boundaries, then this, it's difficult to have a friendship with this person. Every one of us has like personal territory, has things that within our control, we can either choose or not choose to bring somebody else in, whether it be, uh, you know, secrets that we have, whether it be the way that we use our time or anything like that. Okay, if someone is asking me to do something beyond my ability or beyond my desire to do, then they have to accept that my answer is no. Can you come help me with this uh, thing? No, I'm sorry, I don't have the time to come help you. Okay. It is not right for you to be offended by that, right? It is not right. You have to respect that I, 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 you know, I have my own things and I have to, you know, maybe I can't, I don't have the time. You have to offer me like the freedom to choose for myself. And, and this is where we sometimes we don't understand what love is. Love is to freely give of myself to another person. 
when I freely give of myself to another person, this is love. Not to be coerced to love. Not to be coerced. You know, sometimes we have situations maybe where um, you could have like a person, like a son or daughter that has gotten married and they move out of their parents' house. And their parents now uh, feel like they're lonely or they, they, they want to be with their children, right? But now this person, as a married person, does not have all the time in the world to be with their parents as much as the parents would like. So what can the parents do? Either the parents are going to uh, respect the boundaries of their child and say, okay, you know, it doesn't mean that because they can't spend all the time with me that they don't love me. It doesn't mean that. Or they can be like, what? And this is maybe very, uh, very common in Egyptian circles, is we, we, do, we use guilt. We use guilt. It's like you're leaving me by myself and I was needing you and this and this and you didn't come and you didn't offer me this and you didn't. We try to make people feel guilty so that they would give us what we want. This is very wrong. This is very wrong. If, the, if I can just say what my needs are, sincerely, I need something. If the person is going to offer it to me out of love, then this is love. This is friendship. This is closeness. This is intimacy because you're offering me something that I need because you see that I have a need. But if you're trying to make me feel guilty and you're trying to manipulate me into doing what you want because you're trying to make me feel guilty, this is wrong. This is, this is, this is trying to control me. This is trying to alter me. You're not giving me freedom, right? Love has to be free. Love has to be completely free. This is why God offered us a temptation in the Garden of Eden, right? If God had never allowed any kind of temptation, if God prevented the serpent from tempting us in the Garden of Eden and there was no wrong choice that could be done, in what way could we say that we love God? How can we say we love Him? How could we test if Adam and Eve loved God or not? God gave them absolutely everything and offered them everything and that was it. So we could see that God loved them, but how would we know if Adam and Eve loved God? So God allowed them to be tempted. And He said, here is this tree, don't eat from it. Don't eat from this tree. Now I'm going to see if you eat from it or not. Okay? And based on this, I will know if you love me. Okay? But it had the decision had to come from them. It could not have just been God is forcing them. God is giving them a guilt trip. Or God is controlling them in order to do the right thing. The love had to come from them. We have to, we have to be with someone who is respecting our boundaries. Okay? Because each of us has boundaries. Boundaries of our time. Boundaries of our money. Boundaries of our energy boundaries of, of, of our bodies, every kind of boundary, someone has, someone has to respect those. And if the person that I am with is not respecting my boundaries, I need to, I need to deal with that because that's very important. Another uh, characteristic of someone who is a good friend is someone who fears the Lord. Okay, Someone who wants to grow closer to God, someone who is reverent, someone who loves God, someone who wants to obey God. In Sirach uh, chapter 6, it says, He who fears the Lord guides his friendship rightly, because as he is, so also is his neighbor. As he is, so also is his neighbor. If I am uh, a friend with someone, a very important characteristic to look for, is this person going to help me draw closer to God or not? Is this person going to encourage me to go to church? Or this person is going to encourage me to sleep in and not go to church? Okay. We are very, very influenced by the people around us. Very influenced by the people around us. There's people that um, used to go to church all the time and then they got married and completely stopped going to church. 
There are people that used to never go to church and then they got married and they started going to church every week. There are people that used to serve in the church very consistently and after they got married they stopped serving altogether and vice versa, right? So, so we are very influenced by the people that are around us. So we have to choose someone who fears the Lord, fears the Lord so that we can also be encouraged to fear the Lord. The last characteristic that I'm going to speak about today of a good friend is someone who has been tested. Someone who has been tested. A good friend is one who has been proven to be faithful. Who has proven to be faithful. When we first start a relationship, it's difficult for us at the very beginning to know what is the depth of this person. What is, how, how is this person going to react in times of a trial? Because when everything is going well, it's just all about having fun and enjoying ourselves and so on. And so there's no real test. Okay, The person who, who is really a, a true friend is the person who has been tested and has been found to be faithful. Okay, In Proverbs 27, it says, Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. Why is he speaking about your father's friend? Your father's friend is the person who has remained a friend to your father. Meaning he has stayed a friend of the family for a very long time. And that means that he has been through adversity that there have been conflict, that there has been issues and problems that have been resolved. There's things, like he remained faithful despite all of the conflicts of life and all the adversity of life. Okay, So it's a person that has um, experience. Okay, In Sirach chapter 6, it says, A faithful friend is a medicine of life, and those who fear the Lord will find him. Those who fear the Lord will find him. He's medicine. Okay, He's something that can cure me, something that can heal me, something that can help me. God sent. God sent to be with me. So it's important also that when we find a friend and a friend that's been our friend for a very long time and that we've been through so many things, stay close to this friend. I, I know sometimes people might be friends for 20 years and then something happens after the 20 years and they become upset with each other and they part ways. And this is very sad, right? Because they've lasted for that long. You know, we need to invest in our friendships as much as possible to remain at peace with one another, especially this friend that has been tested for a very long time. So in conclusion, we just want to summarize what are the characteristics of, of a good friend, the kind of friend that, that is going to help us draw closer to God and not lead us away from God, the kind that St. John Chrysostom said that Christ was speaking about when he said what? If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, right? If these friends cause me to sin, cut it off. So what are the characteristics we said? The first one is someone who introduces me to God by his life and prayers. Through his spiritual life, he draws me closer to God. He loves me all the time, but especially in times of affliction, right? In difficult times, he doesn't disappear. He is there with me. He gives me honest counsel, even when I don't want to hear it. He tells me the truth, covers my weakness. He doesn't speak about my business to other people in public, trying to hurt me or gossip about me or to take revenge against me, but he keeps everything that I say to him or her in confidence. Respects my boundaries, meaning when I say no, he respects this no, and he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't freak out because I said no. He doesn't consider it to be a lack of love because I said no. It's just I'm not comfortable with that, and he respects that. Um, fears the Lord, someone who is a reverent person, someone who loves God. And then finally, someone who has been tested, especially if we've had a friend for a long time, or we look to those who have, you know, other people have confided in, other people have seen as being faithful. This is very important for us. Very important for us to, to have friends that have been tested. So may God grant us good friendships 
that we desire to be with good people because those people have such an influence on us to lead us to him and glory be to God forever. Amen.